fellow travellers and welcome to podcast 37 in the series You Should Have Been There with me, Simon Calder and me, Mick Webb. And today's stories are all about getting away from it all. Something that, as you may have noticed, we've been doing. We took a week off and we've both been on our adventures. And I'm looking forward, Mick, to hearing about your uh, extraordinary journey through the wilds of East Sussex later on. Yes, and I'm looking forward to uh, talking about the delights of walking through valleys uh, awash with sheep. Uh, anyway, what about you? I know you have been getting away from it all for quite some time, but uh, you've had uh, a sort of bit of a special trip, I think, this time. Yes, what I've been doing is going as far as I can to the Corona Curtain without actually crossing it. Now, you, of course, remember the Iron Curtain, which stretched, in Churchill's words, from uh, the Baltic to Trieste in Italy. Um, and on the other side was communism and uh, suppression and so on. Well, we have a new invisible frontier that, from a British traveller's perspective, runs right through Western Europe. So, gradually, um, over the summer, we have seen quarantine imposed on a whole list of countries, which um, you and I very happily will have um, enjoyed travelling to. The Netherlands, uh, Belgium, Luxembourg, France, Switzerland, Austria, all these great countries are now, well, not quite off limits, but if you or I were to go there, we would need to quarantine for two weeks on return. Now, I have no intention of putting myself in the position of needing to quarantine, but I was really keen to explore as deep as I could into Europe. And just as I did in the days of the Berlin Wall, kind of actually go as close as I could to the frontier and just wonder what was happening on the other side. Well, the climax of my trip was some mountain climbing to the highest point in the Netherlands. Uh, (laughs) Given the quarantine obligation, that might strike you as irresponsible. But fortunately, this uh, point, uh, Valseberg, the summit of Vals Mountain, is one you can reach without encroaching at all on Dutch territory because the summit happens to be where Germany, the Netherlands and plucky Belgium all converge. There's a big stone here, uh, 196, and that must be the the stone marking the German border uh, from here. It's three miles back into the centre of Aachen, but I'm actually setting off on a walk all the way along the watchtowers, although I don't suppose there's many of those left, um, right down to the point where I meet not just the Netherlands, but also Belgium. Three country corner. The weather and the scenery are enough to make your heart sing along with the birds. This is the road along the frontier. It, in a few metres from now, will dissipate into a track. But my map, which is paper and good, suggests that I will still be able to climb. It looks like a pretty steep hill up through the woods 
to the three country stone. Uh, the breeze is riffling through the trees. The harvest in the field ahead looks pretty ripe and all is well with the world. Well, here's a thing. <laughs> Wasn't expecting to find a metal book. This is produced by grenzrouten.eu. So the Frontier Route is the um, organization here. And in three languages, they tell you those languages being German, Dutch and French um, to represent Germany, the Netherlands and Belgium. Uh, they tell you all about this um, cultural landscape and the animals and humans who've been this way before. Right, this is just so strange. Um, there's a very solid stone here, um, which has got Germany on my side. And then it's, uh, if you can imagine a pizza, um, the other half, uh, Germany occupies half the pizza. Um, then there's one third pointing at the Netherlands and would you believe two thirds pointing at uh, Belgium. Um, my phone has been into Dutch territory because somebody very kindly took it to get a picture of me against the flags, but I have not. Um, there's all kinds of tempting things here. There's, for example, a uh, ice cream parlour over there. There's a beer uh, advertisement, a brand beer, um, and a tower that you can climb, except I can't because it's on the Dutch side by about 10 metres. That sounds absolutely mad and rather entertaining as a trip. Um, I I was really interested by the metal book. Uh, is, I mean, is it actually a book or is it a sculpture? Or well, you've got uh, uh, this lectern with the book on it, and it's effectively, if you can imagine, a ring binder with metal pages. Well, they are just there in order to uh, be protected, I guess, against the weather. Um, and they've acquired a kind of certain pattern of age, but it's a very good way of, of um, uh, telling people how, well, of course, um, frontiers used to be uh, points of conflict, but now they are points of unity, except, of course, <laughs> um, in the um, from the British perspective, in which there would have been a huge conflict had I followed my phone across the border. <laughs> Um, I, well, I, I'm demanding a, a word picture of your trip, um, uh, uh, which, which sounds equally intriguing. Well, you may remember that, uh, uh, well, a month ago, though it does seem like years now, I was plotting uh, an escape to France, to uh, central eastern France, because I thought that was, A, easy to get to uh, from um, uh, Calais via the via Euro Tunnel, uh, and that I might actually be able to get to quite a nice place where I could uh, go swimming and walking um, with my partner without speaking to anybody or having any contact with anything other than <laughs> the uh, person in the toll booth on the motorway or um, at a petrol station. Uh, however, that all um, became um, impossible uh, due to uh, increasing. Um, cases uh, in uh, France. And um, so uh, we settled for a journey to Sussex 
good old Sussex by the sea, except we weren't actually by the sea. We were just inland, staying in uh, what was an absolutely delightful valley. Uh, and the weather was very nice. Um, the sheep were very friendly. We were actually able to walk across fields to a pub, which took its uh, COVID duties very seriously. And so this was the first time I, I'd filled in one of those uh, locator forms, which I don't think they threw straight in the bin afterwards. And I w was able to sit outside and enjoy a pint of uh, uh, Harvey's Sussex Ale, which is an extremely fine um, pint, if you like that kind of thing. Um, and then we were able to walk back across the fields feeling a lot better, even, even more um, uh, buoyed by the fact that we hadn't actually paid for this drink because what? Uh, well <laughs> um well it just shows that generosity isn't just something you find abroad which I'd always rather thought was the case <laughs> um we turned up at the pub as a sort of recce really to see whether uh a it was uh, uh taking its COVID duties seriously and B, whether we will be able to book to um, eat out uh, mm -hmm. uh, one evening. Uh, and to, to help out. To help out. Oh, sorry, to help out. Well, that, that yes, to help out. Well, I'm afraid we had to pay full whack actually for it because I think the scheme had finished by then. Or Oh, I think you can still help out though, even though you're not getting um, any help from the government. It's still a, a good, good thing to do. To uh, Oh, I see. Uh, I was helping the local economy. Yes, um, oh, well, but, but the, it sounds like the econ local economy was helping you. Well, it, it, it did because when uh, when I asked, um, uh, you know, from about twenty feet away with a mask on, uh, <laughs> whether or not uh, it would be possible to uh, come and uh, eat a couple of days later, the chap who was wearing one of those sort of protective face shields—I must say—the yes. whole thing was like something out of uh, Star Wars. It was very bizarre. Said. Um, yeah, no, that'll be fine. Um, but uh, now you're here and it's a nice evening. Uh, why don't you stay for a drink? And we didn't have any money. Uh, and he said, <laughs> um, and he said, uh, don't worry. He said, uh, we'll put it on the tab and uh, uh, you can pay uh, ah. when you come later. So I thought that was very nice because he uh, That's uh, very, very generous, except that I don't think you can, uh, maybe, maybe this is already triggering um, uh, getting away with it um, as a future uh, podcast title. But so you, 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 were, you merely deferred the payment and were, were obviously um, uh, put on trust to come back and, and pay for that. It's uh, a very nice idea. That is it's true and i like the idea of, of we're, this is getting away from it all this podcast but i think that getting away with it all is a absolutely brilliant one but as you say for um for another time um anyway um we did uh lots of walks uh including one along the 1066 country walk um which uh took us to the fair town of winchelsea uh with a slightly unusual objective in mind. What I like about our um, expeditions from the house is that uh, we have to start in a rather transgressive way by <laughs> climbing over a fence. <laughs> we don't have to, but it is a bit quicker. Uh, it's 10.35, which is not really uh, the ideal time to be starting on a walk on a surprisingly sunny day um, again and uh, in a minute 
well in five minutes actually the 1040 train on the single track line between uh, Winchelsea and Eastbourne should be coming through the valley other than the railway line uh, there is a river running through this valley there are no roads to be seen and there are sheep everywhere Have you got through the gate all right, Steph? What are you doing? Just... I'm doing a thumbs up. I'm doing a thumbs up. Going through the first official gate and closing it in a responsible fashion. Anyway, on we go to uh, Winchelsea. I oh, know, first it's Ickenham, isn't it? And then Winchelsea. Here we are in the... Uh, charming town of Winchelsea which someone told us was once the richest town in uh, in England but it doesn't look as though it is now and this is the churchyard it's absolutely spectacular sort of semi-ruined fortified church and rumour has it that Spike Milligan was buried here or is buried here are we looking for Spike Milligan? Yeah. we are yeah. we are over here. Yeah, yeah. the tree just to the right of the wall uh, yeah yeah that one yes the Biggest big, yeah. The big, uh, <laughs> to the right of the trunk, yeah. A little white, whitish. Yeah, I can see. Stone. I can see that. Yeah. That's it. All right. Excellent. Well, we'll go up there and. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Well, one thing I found out was um, apparently had on his gravestone, "I told you I was ill." Yeah. And, I, and I looked at that. And I thought, Nah, I can't see it. Looked it up on the internet, and it's there, but it's in Gaelic. Well, we are looking at the map of where Winchelsea is. Um, I think uh, one of um, Spike Milligan's great poems springs to mind, uh, which we have, I think, discussed in the past. I must go down to the sea again, to the lonely sea and the sky. I left my vest and socks there. I wonder if they're dry. <laughs> Um, but honestly, Winchelsea was making this claim, which I've heard of other places, um, maybe in Norfolk, that it was once the richest place in Christendom. <laughs> Go on then. Uh, how, how, do you, how do you defend and, and um, prolong this, uh, this uh, apparent fact? Well, it is true that uh, uh, in the 13th century, it was a very important port uh, and uh, had a population of approximately 6,000 people, which was a lot then. Um, and now it has 600, if that, which is quite a sort of, uh, uh, quite a sort of sad um, falling from grace. Um, uh, and the reason was that uh, the original Winchelsea uh, which actually doesn't exist at all now, was destroyed by a huge storm in 1287 because it was built on a shingle bank. Uh, and uh, if you think of Chesil Beach, I think the Chelsea bit of Winchelsea is something to do with uh, with shingle. And if you go down to the sea again, like uh, Spike Milligan, which in fact I did a few times because <laughs> Steph really likes a good wild swim. And... Um, I have to accompany her on the sense that it would be just far too wimpish to sit there <laughs> in my mountaineering gear on the windswept um, shingle beach while she goes swimming in the sea. So I had to go as well. Uh, it was, um, uh, it was, I suppose, bracing would be one way of putting it. Anyway, getting back to Winchelsea. Well, it was rebuilt after its disaster um, inland 
but it was um, still much closer to the sea than it is now um, uh, because the uh, the coast has now receded. So it's become a victim in a, two different ways. I suppose you could call it the victim of a real double whammy. Uh, first of all, having been destroyed by a storm, and now it's been destroyed by the fact that the sea has, uh, has rather disappeared. Uh, anyway, it was an important port because it was uh, on a, the estuary of the river Breed, so shipping could get to uh, the Winchelsea, which we can see now. And it had a very important trade with France, particularly where wine was concerned. Ah. And you can, uh, or we could have, if uh, COVID hadn't intervened, have gone on a cellar tour because all <laughs> of the houses in, uh, in Winchelsea uh, actually had wine cellars uh, to keep... Uh, sherry port wine well whatever it was uh, which was then legally sold on and transported around the rest of the uk legally that's an interesting word because if i'm not mistaken about two or three miles away is rye uh, another port that was not anymore and everything about that town is uh, to do with smuggling uh, which <laughs> of course this week um became a, a a big subject again because the government announced that uh, we are rolling back the years. We're going back to uh, the 1990s and you will be able to bring in 200 duty-free cigarettes uh, from the 1st of January. Um, cheap smokes being um, one of the um, benefits, I guess they would say, of uh, Brexit. Ah, but that's quite interesting and possibly runs counter to the... Uh... Uh, the government's other policies on health, which I believe uh, cheap booze and cig cheap cigarettes would not really be encouraged by. But anyway, who am I to question their, um, <laughs> their wisdom? Uh, but I should say that that's interesting because both Rye and Winchelsea um, shouldn't have needed to stoop to smuggling because they enjoyed uh, very significant tax concessions um, because they were... Uh, what I was going to say, one, uh, two of the sink ports. Now, right, and that, you know um, well, I, I know that sink is is not spelt as you might uh, think about um, estates and so on and uh, uh, places to wash up. It's a C I N Q U E. <laughs> so sank is is what we would um, uh, say. Uh, five, of course, in French. Um, and I can't remember if I ever knew them what the other ones were, but I'm going to have a stab at. Um, Go on, have uh, a stab. Actually, uh, okay, I'm I'm going to say. Deal, Dover, Folkestone, and I'm going to throw in Hastings just in case. I think I'll give you three out of five, although it actually should be seven, because uh, uh, the original Sank port were Hastings, New Romney, Hythe, Dover and Sandwich, which are all either in Sussex or Kent. Uh, and then Ryan Winchelsea were added a bit later. So in fact, they were... So not sank port, but actually set port. Set port, that's right. And the idea was that uh, because of their convenient location uh, close to Le Continent of Europe, which um, funnily enough in those days was not to be trusted at all. Luckily, we've <laughs> moved on since then. Um, they, all of these uh, ports uh, were instructed to... Um, maintain a fleet of ships which could be called upon by the 
uh, government, by the crown, uh, should there be uh, a need to take on the pesky uh, French or uh, Spaniards or anybody else, really. And in return for this, they were given all kinds of uh, customs and tax concessions. It sounds to me a little bit like a, a little England version of the Hanseatic League, of course, which was this kind of uh, pan northern European pan Baltic organization, which was effectively, um, well, depending on how you define it, either a single market or a customs union um, that, that uh, really came into uh, into being, I think, in the roughly 12th, 13th century and uh, r remained very important. Um, uh, but it was that was much more to do with facilitating trade rather than um, than, than than keeping it keeping it closed so uh yes the the, the uh uh i i would um i, I would salute the, uh, the idea of, of some kind of unity but so interesting that you uh talk about how we had uh this distrust of the foreigner because that rather takes us on to something we were discussing in the last um podcast which was some um, three men on the bummel um the very good um, uh, successor to Three Men in a Boat by Jerome K. Jerome. And since you introduced me to it, I must say I've thoroughly enjoyed reading it. And partly uh, during my uh, trip over the past week, I actually followed in the footsteps of the trio as they, they bumbled through Germany. Oh, well, I'm glad that uh, you were on the bummel or bummel, um, because although as a phrase, I'm not entirely sure uh, it will really catch on. Uh, it is actually quite an interesting idea, uh, which is explored uh, in, in some depth uh, in, in the book itself. And a listener of ours actually uh, got in touch with me to ask what it really meant. And towards the end of the book, there, there is actually a proper discussion of it. Um, now, you need to know that uh, uh, along with Jerome, K. Jerome, who is obviously the uh, author and narrator, uh, the other two uh, people on the bummel are Harris and George. And here they are reflecting on how their journey um, has been. And uh, I suppose one should bear in mind that it was uh, just before the uh, outbreak of the First World War. It's been a pleasant bummel on the whole, said Harris. I shall be glad to get back, and yet I'm sorry it is over, if you understand me. What is a bummel? said George. How would you translate it? A bummel, I explained, I should describe as a journey, long or short, without an end. The only thing regulating it being the necessity of getting back, within a given time, to the point from which one started. Sometimes it is through busy streets, and sometimes through the fields and lanes. Sometimes we can be spared for a few hours, and sometimes for a few days. But long or short, but here or there, our thoughts are ever on the running of the sand. We nod and smile to as many as we pass. With some we stop and talk a while, and with a few we walk a little way. We have been much interested, and often a little tired. But on the whole, we have had a pleasant time, and a sorry went is over. That's so charming. Um, uh, you and Steph then were on the bummel or bummel um, in Sussex. <laughs> I suppose we were. I mean, uh, we didn't really talk to uh, uh, 
too many people other than the uh, uh, charming couple next door from whom we had uh, rented a cottage. <laughs> and uh, other than that, we passed the time in rather simple pursuits, swimming uh, from the shingle beach at Winchelsea, um, foraging. Oh. Uh, we, we, yeah, really, we, uh, we actually, um, we actually collected field mushrooms and blackberries and cooked them and didn't die, which is quite good. <laughs> and, uh, I'd like to hear it. Yes. <laughs> uh, I read a book, which was incredibly appropriate. It was quite by accident. I only picked it up because, uh, Steph said, this is good. You ought to read this, um, called where the crawdads sing, uh, by someone called Delia Owens, which is uh, a novel set in North Carolina, in the marshlands of North wow. Carolina, which is sort of really is at the end of the road, which mm. is rather, um, where we were because, uh, the road ran out, uh, at our farm and the track ran out at the farm cottage where we were staying. And then all there was in front of us was, uh, an expanse of uh, river valley there were no roads running through it so it was far from uh, any road uh, and um there was a railway line uh, with an occasional train and other than that the only sounds were of sheep birds wind etc uh, so no sirens uh, no helicopters no angle grinders i cannot tell you how uh, relaxing it was so i suppose it was a very good bummel it well it sounds absolutely idyllic um and I must say that's an inspired yet another um, thought for a future program, Roads to Nowhere. Uh, and ah, so, yes, I think that would be a, a, one to pursue. I would particularly recommend the uh, I think it's the A590 going to Barrow Inverness, where it lays down and dies. Well, it is a very good subject for a podcast, but uh, not one we're going to take on uh, next week because we are going to be talking about pilgrimages and particularly the uh, Camino de Santiago, the great uh, path to Santiago, which we have uh, done a very small amount of, but uh, many other pilgrims and um, general travellers and holiday makers have done a lot more of. Yes, it strikes me as the polar opposite of the bummel because you are going to a particular place with a very strong sense of purpose. So um, until next week's podcast from me, Mick Webb and me, Simon Calder. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.